I'm Bishop Sherman Young. Each week, the Word Break podcast answers questions about God, faith, and other spiritual issues. Here is this week's message. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. If they don't say amen when I preach, I ain't going to say nothing when they preach. I started talking to you last night on the healing of Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5, and I invite your attention to that passage of scripture in 2 Kings, the 5th chapter. And on evening last, I talked to you about successful but not happy, 2 Kings 5 and 1. I do encourage you to take the time to read the entire story in your devotional time as we go verse by verse. Second Kings 5 verse 1 and a couple of the following verses. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory or deliverance to Syria he was a mighty man of valor but he was a leper verse 2 and the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. And then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus saith the girl, the girl who is from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go to, go, and I will send a letter unto the king of Israel. I'll stop there. I want to talk tonight about the right connection. Would you say that, please? The right connection. Verse 1 introduces Naaman to us. It talks about and celebrates his achievements. We learned on last night, he's a national hero. He is the kind of man whose face would appear on money. He is renowned, celebrated as a mighty man of valor, a captain and a conqueror. Naaman was a great man, according to verse 1, but he was a leper. But means yet he was a leper. With all of his accomplishments and everything he had done and everything that people said about him and celebrated him, parades held in his honor. Yet he was a leper. The word but means nevertheless. With all of the great things to be said, nonetheless. It means however, or despite all of that, 
It means in spite of that mentioned above. It means just the same. Naaman was a leper. He was successful, but he had the worst disease known to man. The scriptures does not tell us how he got leprosy. We don't know that if on some raid or some military trip or in some warfare he encountered someone and captured them, touched them not knowing that they had the disease. The Bible does not say whether or not he got this leprosy because he invaded a leper's colony where lepers were kept. And maybe without knowing or without thinking, he exposed himself to the most contagious disease of his time. But no matter how great you are, there is something. You may have all your degrees, you may be an academician, you may be wealthy, you may have a great career, but there's a shortcoming. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. No matter how great we are, no matter how wise we are, no matter how wonderful others say that we are, there's something wrong. Something that only God can touch. With all of the greatness and all of the celebration, he had leprosy. Now Jesus recalls Naaman in Luke 4 and 27. Jesus said there were many lepers in Israel, but none of them was healed except Naaman the Syrian. Jesus points out in his ministry that Naaman stands out in Old Testament times because he was chosen to be healed. So when we talk about him, we're not looking at an ordinary man or even just extraordinary in his military might. But rather, even Jesus talked about how unique he was. And with all of the lepers in Israel and Naaman's day, and Israel being the people of God and Naaman being a Syrian, Jesus said only he was healed. Uh, he was successful, and we said last night in being successful, it's important that we learn some things from Naaman because we have to discover ourselves, acknowledge ourselves, forgive ourselves, and then give ourselves. He didn't let his handicap stop him from doing his work. There are too many people that let what's going on in their personal life Stop them from doing what they ought to do, even in the kingdom of God. But Naaman was healed of his leprosy. Now, in the text that I read tonight, I need you to consider the contradictions that are in the text. Because Naaman, according to the Bible, had gone out as they would do and captured other nations and brought back citizens of that nation to work as slaves in their houses and they'd gone to Israel and captured Israel and then brought into his house what the Bible describes as a little maid girl who was working as a housekeeper in Naaman's house she's a maid 
She's folding clothes. She's washing dishes. She's cleaning up the house. She is serving as a maid. And the scripture said that that little girl said to Naaman's wife, I wish that my Lord, meaning Naaman, would meet my prophet back in Israel where I'm from. He would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman got a tip from a child. Now don't shun those that you think are less than you are. One of the great mistakes we make is we don't think that anybody who's not as educated or anybody who's not as wealthy or anybody who's not as well known as we are can't help us. We tend to look for those on our level or those who are higher than we are for advice. But God can use anybody, even a child. Even old drunk Uncle Bubba at the family reunion may be used by God to give you an understanding on a question that you've had for many years. Or even a person that hasn't traveled as far as you are, but yet the Lord can use them to give a word to you that can change your life. Out of the mouth of babes, he has ordained praise. And you don't always know where that revelation is going to come from. Look in the text, you see all the contradictions that I've read to you. Naaman is major. <laughs> this little girl is minor. Naaman is sick. The little girl is healthy. Naaman is fearful, but the little girl is faithful. Naaman has found no cure, but the girl knows where the cure is. Now, this little girl reminds us that the Bible is filled with unnamed connectors that do the will of God. Tell me, what was the name of the lad with two fish and five loaves of bread? And yet that's the only miracle that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four record. But none of them mention his name. What is the name of the man bearing the pitcher of water that showed the apostles to the upper room? where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. His name is not mentioned. What is the name of the woman who, when we read the Bible, was at the well, Jacob's well, and after she met Jesus and got living water that was not in the well, the Bible says she went and told the whole city, come see a man. That's told me everything, and the word says they shut down the whole city and came to Jesus. What's the name of the Ethiopian eunuch that Philip baptized in Acts chapter 8 that worked for Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, and he went back down to Ethiopia. He is no slouch. He is not a poor man. He is not driving the chariot. He's riding in a chauffeur-driven chariot. He's from Ethiopia, Eti, Api, Eti, having to do with the sun, Api or optical, having to do with the brow or the face. It is the land of the sunburned face. But what's his name? What's the name of the Philippian jailer that ran in in Acts chapter 16 and Paul said, do yourself no harm, we're all here. 
And he said, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord, you and your house shall be saved. There are unnamed connectors throughout the Bible. You may have the ministry of a connector. I am a connector. Whether or not my name gets called is not important. I'm a connector. I'm, as a preacher of the gospel, my job is to connect you with your solution. You may not know who I am. You may not can spell who I am. You may not can remember tomorrow what the pastor said my name was. But when you're really serving the Lord, you don't care about your name being called. I don't mean any harm, but we live in a time where people want their name called too often. If I give $100, I want my name called. I wish I had a witness. I'll quit the church because you didn't call my name. I worked on that committee. I worked on that team. I fried that chicken. I cooked that pound cake. You thanked everybody but me. But those who love the kingdom of God don't mind being anonymous. I wish I had some help here. The truth is it's about God, not about us. The truth is it's about the church and the church belongs to Jesus. And whether or not we ever get any recognition for the money we give, the solo we sang, the song we led, whether we get any recognition or not, to God be the glory. I tell you, it's dangerous when you want to share in the glory of God. Because he said, I am the Lord, and I don't share my glory with anybody. There's a danger in your name being too celebrated. The Bible teaches us that Herod made a great speech. And they said, that's not a man. He is a God. And Herod enjoyed that. And the Bible said that night he was eaten of worms and died. I wish I had a witness here. I'm from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Did Tuscaloosa make two mistakes? They published two bumper stickers. One bumper sticker said, like Jesus, Bear Bryant can walk on the water. Another bumper sticker came out, said God created the heaven and earth in seven days and the eighth day he made Paul Bear Bryant. And the next year we buried Paul Bear Bryant. I wish I had a witness here. God will not share his glory with anybody. If you preached a good sermon, if you taught a good Sunday school lesson, if you gave good words of encouragement and people try to praise you, you need to direct them to the one who really did it through you. Because you ain't nothing but a connector. So many times in this generation, everybody wants a title. We used to just be bruh and sis. We used to just be brother and sister. Now everybody's got to have a title. Somebody's got to be the bishop. Somebody got to be the apostle. Somebody's got to be the deacon. Somebody got to be the trustee. Somebody's got to be the president. Somebody's got to have a title. But all of these little somebodies ain't nobody when you stand us next to God. The higher you go, the lower you're to go in service. 
If you get a promotion in the church of God, that means you got to serve more, not less. And we're not called to be served. I wish I had a witness. We are called to serve. And a true connector gives what you have and gets lost in the crowd. The reason you don't know that boy's name with the two fish and five loaves is because as soon as he gave it up, he went and mixed in with the crowd. The reason you don't know anything about him is because after he surrendered his lunch, he participated in the wilderness banquet. He didn't stand around holding on to the garment of Jesus, wanting everybody to know that that's his food that they were eating through the miraculous hand of God who does all things well. As soon as he gave up his lunch, he went right back out there and stood with everybody else. You ought to want to be a connector. But connectors don't get celebrated. I wish I had a witness here. Connectors don't often get appreciated. Oftentimes when you've done all you can, nobody knows who did it. And you have to be willing to do all the work and let somebody else get the credit. Tell me, who witnessed the gospel to Billy Graham? Who witnessed to C.D. Patterson? Who witnessed to T.D. Jakes? Who witnessed to A. Lewis Bratcher? Who witnessed to Joyce Meyer? You know them, but you don't know how they found the Lord. Somebody unnamed, not celebrated, not appreciated, told them one day that Jesus saves. I wish I did have some help around here. Now connections can either help you or hurt you. And we live in a day when everybody wants to get connected and stay connected. Facebook is a connector. And there are people that say, well, I've got 3,500 friends on Facebook and you only know 10 of them personally. Twitter is a connector. The president says, I don't trust fake news. So I'm going to connect with my people. I don't have any help here. We like connection. We wake up in the middle of the night and check our phone and wonder why we didn't get a text. When we get up in the morning, rather than reach and get the Bible, we reach and get the cell phone. Let me see if somebody's trying to reach me. We like being connected. If we get lonely, we join some website, some match.com or Christian Mingle or, or, or Plenty of Fish. We find some way to get connected to somebody. Now, we don't know who they are. We don't know where they came from. We don't know if they're married, single, divorced, or widowed. We don't know that they're telling the truth. We don't even know if the picture they put on there is really them or if it's them 20 years ago. Matter of fact, some of y'all got your picture out there from 20 years ago. Don't look at me in that place. It's all because we live in a time when everybody wants to be connected. My friends are digital. I don't have a witness. My, my relationships are digital because we want to be connected. But connections can help you 
or hurt. You know, people are like elevators. They can take you up or they can take you down. And some of us know we got in trouble because we had the wrong connection. Some of us went to jail because we had the wrong connections. Some of us ended up in divorce court more than once because we had the wrong connection. Some of us had good credit until we made the wrong connection. Connections can be dangerous, but the only way that life moves towards prosperity is through connection. You see, God not only made man, but God made man for relationship. And there's something on the inside of me that needs you in order for me to move forward. If I hear the gospel, I have to hear it from someone. That's a connection. That's why when we're taught to pray, somebody prayed for me. That's a connection. And connections can come as the answer to prayer. You see, there's some folk in your life who are associated with you, but there are other folk in your life who've been assigned to you. And through the providence of God, God brought you and that person into a relationship for your good, their good, and the kingdom's good. When I connected to this pastor, it blessed my life and changed my life. I wish I had a witness. When I came to this church as a 15-year-old boy, not even a preacher to speak, not even knowing who he was, but the Missionary Society brought me here, it brought a connection between us. When we brought him to Tuscaloosa the next year to preach, it established that connection between us. And from then until now, I've watched him, I've studied him, I've admired him, I've seen him in his best, I've seen him rise to the top of his field and inspired me through the connection. I wish I had a witness. I pity anybody that's going to a church and they can't get inspired by who's up in the pulpit. Because there ought to be a connection between the pastor and the people. There ought to be a connection between the pulpit and the pew. And it ought to be for your good. Your pastor is assigned to your life. I wish I had a witness here. This preaching is the bread of life for you. You will make decisions based on what he teaches and preaches. You will go to school based on that. You will marry based on that. You raise your children based on what you hear in the house of God because of that connection. See, connection always brings conversation. And the Bible warns us about conversation. James talks about the tongue. Anybody read it? In James 3, he said the tongue can bring defilement. Then in James 3, he said the tongue can bring destruction. But then in James 3, he said the tongue can give direction. And here the connection came, check this out, from a younger generation. Now we like to think about old folk advising young folk. And it freaks us out that sometimes young people advise older people. See, when the generations connect, old folk and young folk, and I know I'm preaching in a time when old people don't trust young people. Come on now, don't get quiet now. But the truth is, old people have a fear. 
of young people. Their bodies are tatted and painted. Their ears, their nose, their tongue, their navel is pierced. Their hair is too long and nappy and unwashed. I wish I had a witness now. Their music is too loud and violent. We have a fear of the younger generation. When I'm pumping gas at the gas station, I'm not worried about the police shooting me. But if I look up at 9 o'clock at night and see three 16-year-olds coming down the sidewalk in my direction, I get nervous. Our cities are being run by our children. But when old and young connect, oh, a powerful synergy is formed. When old and young connect, you can see the value of generational equity. Yes, that prior generation has some wisdom for the younger generation. But baby, wisdom won't teach you how to turn that cell phone off and on. I don't have a witness here. I know what you did back in 1965, but that ain't going to help you send a text message. There is a generational equity that happens, that's realized. There's a heritage of faith that's established. How did this little girl know about a prophet in, in her hometown? that could heal. Oh, she'd sit around and heard the old folks talking. I wish I had some help here. You see, what we say at home has a lot to do with how children turn out. And we want to blame the young people, but the truth is we talk around our kids in ways that our folk never talked around us. Oh, we got, I don't mean no harm, just walk with me, but we got parents that cuss around their children. We got parents that gossip around their children. We got parents that talk about the pastor around their children. We got parents that talk about the deacons around their children. Talk about the Sunday school teacher around their children. We've even got parents that will go up to the school and will offer to whip the teacher's hand parts because the teacher said a word of correction or discipline to their child. Oh, I know they don't do it where you live, but they do it where I live. When I was growing up, I never heard my mother gossip. When they got ready to do their gossiping, they made me walk a half mile in front of them. I wish I had a... When they got ready to talk grown folk talk, they didn't let me get involved. And then the little lightweight grown folk talk, they were talking in front of me. If I opened my mouth, I got her fist in it. She said, uh-uh, you don't, don't you hear grown folks talking? I couldn't just come in and say, mama, I want some Kool-Aid and interrupt a grown folk conversation. I had to stand there until I got acknowledged. And whenever they got through talking about what they were talking about, then she looked and said, what you want? Maybe the problem with the children aren't the children. Oh, I don't have any help, but I'm going to press on here anyhow. 
Maybe what's wrong with the younger generation is what they hear at home. This girl was helpful to the captain of the host of Syria. She was helpful to a national hero, to the king's right hand man. This girl was helpful because she knew her pastor back home had the answer. What if, what if her folk back home had been running the pastor down? Oh, oh, he ain't no, he ain't no good pastor. Oh, he can preach, but oh, he ain't no good pastor. Oh, he can't preach. Lord, I just go to sleep every Sunday. I don't have a witness here. Oh, he holds service too long. I knew I got there late, but I wanted to leave early. She trusted her prophet because her folks trusted the prophet. Now, in church now, we've got several generations. I think we all know that. What we may not understand is every generation we've got nowadays is different. You know, people born from 1900 to 1924, it's called the GI generation. They came through World War I after the sinking of the Lusitania. People born 1925 to 1945, the silent generation. They came through the Great Depression and they survived it. They married younger than their mothers and fathers. People born 1945 to 1964 are the baby boomers. And people born 1965 to 1983 are baby busters. And people born 1984 to 2003 are millennials. And people born 2004 until now are digital natives. See, the challenge is that although we're all up in here together, we ain't the same. Because none of those generations think like the previous generation. We all have our own understanding of life and we all have our own way that we handle things. You see, every baby boomer in here born between 1945 and 1964 was taught stuff by their parents that they didn't teach their own children. Let me give you an example. Everybody in this room born between 1945 and 1964 was taught that if it's thundering and lightning and storming, you need to be quiet because God is talking. And the worse the storm was, the longer you had to lay down. Not only did you have to lay down, you had to unplug the TV, unplug the radio, unplug the fan and the refrigerator. Because they said God was talking. Every baby boomer in this room was taught if it's raining outside and the sun is shining at the same time, the devil is. As if the devil had a wife. Every baby boomer in this room was taught if your left hand is itching, Money is coming from somewhere. And don't let a black cat go to your left. Baby boomers were born, most of us, at home. Some of us in the hospital, but you was kind of fancy if you were born in the hospital. Most of us was born at home when the midwife got there or just before she arrived. And because back then, they didn't go to the doctor unless it was the last resort. Because whatever was wrong with you, mama had something for it in the medicine cabinet. 
Castor oil, cod liver oil, three sixes, mercuricone. If, listen, if, 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 if you got the flu, cow chip tea, or maybe you call it weed tea. Now see, for, for those who are younger, they may not even know what that is. But that's when you go out and get cow manure and boil some hot water and boil that cow manure and drink it. It would either it would either kill the cold or kill you. I had a friend. I had a friend came from Canada. They were very fancy people. But his mother made that cow chip tea. And his mother's brother thought it was terrible. Every time she'd make it, he just complained, Mabel, you just nasty. Get, get that cow manure making tea. Got these children drinking it. You just nasty. But that flu hit him one year. Now I'm not talking about a bad cold. I'm talking about the flu. And you know the flu will knock a man down. Put you in the bed. And he had that flu. He come over to the Lord. Mabel. Lord have mercy. I'm just so sick. Listen Mabel. Can can you make a little of that tea for me? She said, yeah, John, I can make it. He said, well, listen, listen. how long is it going to take? She said, well, it's going to take a while because I got to prepare and I got to get it ready and I got to run out to, to get some other stuff right now. He said, well, listen, I'm so sick. Can you break off a piece and let me chew on it? I don't have a witness here. But that was that generation. Everybody said that was then. Come on now, say that was then. Oh yeah, back then. Listen, they had their own solutions. But they, they said those things. They taught us those things. But you didn't teach that to your children. You didn't tell your children it's the devil beating his wife. You said the old folks said the devil's beating his wife. You didn't, you didn't go out in the pasture and get any cow manure. You took your children to the doctor to get a shot. Baby boomers and baby busters are different. And they're different at church. See, baby, boom, baby boomers, when they play, they go outside and play. They were taught go outside and play. But their children learn color TV, AM and FM radio. See, a, a baby boomer, a baby boomer, when they were young, all of their playing was outside. They wouldn't let you play inside. And then you had categories of clothes. You had Sunday clothes, you had play clothes, and you had school clothes. You couldn't go to church in your school clothes, and you couldn't play in your in your school clothes or your church clothes, you played in your play clothes. Had Sunday shoes. But oh, when we had children, we moved up a bit. 
And you see, at church, baby boomers and baby busters are different. You got baby busters in church, 1965, 1983. They don't think about worship in the same way that baby boomers do. See, when a baby boomer comes to church, they want to have church. And they want good church. They want good singing. Come on. They want good praying. And they want good preaching. And they're willing to stay there until the Lord comes. They come at 11, they'll stay till 1.30 if that's what it takes. But that baby buster, when they come to church, see baby boomers love church, baby busters love worship. So when a baby buster comes to church, they want an experience with God. But they need it to be less than 90 minutes. I don't have a witness in this house. And on top of that, if the worship reaches a peak, they don't really have to have a sermon. See, that, that, that baby boomer, they want a three points and a poem. They want you to preach. Or they'll let you get by with a lecture for a couple of Sundays. But if you don't hurry up and tune up, kick a leg, spin around, or do something, they're going to talk about you. He ain't preaching no more. Him and his wife must be having problems. That teaching, all right, but now, Reverend, I got to have me some preaching. And, and, and they want a full, but, but see, the, the baby buster, if you give them one point and do it well, you ain't got to worry about hollering, hooping, tuning, or zooning. Matter of fact, after you get through hollering, they say, why did he do that hollering thing? <laughs> so the message was going good, and then all of a sudden, he stopped and went to hollering. You ever seen them in church when the music is going real good? You go to some churches, you know, like our church, you go to the, and they're just bouncing and bouncing and bouncing, and the music is going real good, and they're clapping and clapping and bouncing and bouncing. Well, see, after a while, the baby boomer and the silent generation is ready to move on. You know, I preach at some churches and I watch when you got a band full of young musicians. They playing music, they never even look up to see where the pastor said, keep going or stop. They just and the pastor's ready to preach. And you know the pastor's ready to preach when you hear him say, Amen. See, now, amen don't mean bringing in. It means stop. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. And the people are just clapping and they're moving back. and Finally, the pastor gets their attention and they calm down. I invite your attention to the book of Acts. And back in the choir, one of those young baby busters jumps straight up and starts spinning around. And the shouting takes off again. You get them calmed down, ready to preach, getting ready to read a scripture, and way back in the back in the corner, somebody hollers, Woo! And the music takes off again. Now about that time, the baby the baby boomer has gotten aggravated with the baby buster. And she said, all right, sit down now, baby. Come on now. That's enough shouting now, baby. Come on. We got to get the word now. 
Can't live off of shouting. Come on, sit down now. Got to get the word now. Come on, amen. Come on now. Because they're different. See, after church, a baby boomer would come up to you and say, I enjoyed the sermon today. But a buster would come up to you and say, the word was rich today, pastor. Younger people have a different take. The reason we had to put screens up in the church is not for the boomers, not for the busters, but the millennials. Because the millennials are used to a screen. Because they've seen one every day of their lives. I don't have a witness around here. Their first babysitter was a TV. You sit them in front of the TV while you go and wash the dishes. And he said, don't he look like he understand what he said. Your three-year-old can work your cell phone better than you can. You give them a screen and they play games on your phone. I wish I had a witness. They go to school, they see screens all day long on computers. They come to church and there's no screen. They say, this is boring. <laughs> Do you know what punishment I would have had to endure if I ever said to my mama, church was boring? But generations are different. Somebody say different. But don't count the younger generation out because they're different. Some churches are just satisfied with no young people. But the truth is, God is the same God. The Bible that I read said from generation to generation, you are God. We got to forget that God, we, we got to remember that God always has included the next generation. Why the woman, the girl that we're reading about tonight, as I close this, the Bible said was a young made girl. David was a young shepherd boy. Jeremiah was a 10 year old child. Josiah was an eight year old king. The boy with the two fish and five loaves was a lad. Rhoda heard Peter knocking on the door after his jail release. And she's called a damsel. The young generation has something to offer. Look at what this girl says. If my master, if my Lord were with the prophet in my hometown, he could get healed. Look at her valuable faith. She knew the prophet in Samaria. But here's what she said. She talked better than church folk. She didn't say he might get healed. She didn't say maybe he'll get healed. She said, if Naaman met my pastor, he would be healed. I wish I had some faith in this room. Faith always speaks in terms of definite, definitive terms. If you're speaking in faith, you don't put a maybe, a guess. You don't say, Lord, if it be your will. You only pray the will of God. She knew. The prophet could help. But not only look at her valuable faith, look at her voracious forgiveness. She's a slave. Most of us would have had an attitude. Got me here working, cleaning up for free. Using me. Took 
me from my family, my mama, my daddy, my uncles and aunties, got me way down here in Syria. But she forgave Naaman for putting her in slavery. Some folk have something good to offer, but their attitude keeps them back. Walking around with a chip on your shoulder, the Lord can't use you and the Lord can't bless you. Young people hate hypocrisy. I don't have a witness here. You cussing them at home and shouting at church on Sunday turns them off. She had, she had honesty. She was voracious in what she said. But then look at her, her victorious foresight. She said he would cure him of his leprosy. Three minutes and I'm sitting down. This girl is a picture of the church. How? Well, number one, she's from Israel. And that represents covenant relationship. I said Israel had a covenant with God. And the church has a covenant. According to the Bible, the covenant that we have is a better covenant with better promises. I wish I had some help. I don't know why people always want to go back in the Old Testament and try to find them scriptures back there to make themselves feel bad. Don't eat fish with no scales. Then you don't want me to have catfish. You don't want me to eat shrimp, crab legs, and lobster. The devil is alive. We always like to reach back into that bondage and get stuff to make people feel bad. But I'm here to remind you that Israel was God's people, but the church, we are God's children. Oh, I don't have a witness here. He said he came unto his own. His own refused him. They received him not. But to them, you and I, who did receive him, he's given us the power to become the sons of God. Oh, I don't go back to David's prayer. Give me a clean heart. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Jesus told me the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. He doesn't live on top of me where he can be taken back. He lives inside of me. Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? I said we got a better covenant. I said we got a better covenant. With God, we got a better covenant. Jesus said, I tell you what, when you pray, when you pray, believe that you shall receive it and you shall have it. I said, that's a better covenant. You know why we got a better covenant? Because we've been covered in the blood of Jesus. I wish I had a witness here. You see, when God looks at us, he doesn't even see us. He sees the blood of his son on us. That's why he answers our prayers. That's why he meets our needs. That's why all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Because we have a better 
covenant. And the better covenant says, whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will do it. That's why the Lord's Supper is the engagement ring on the finger of the church. It reminds me that Jesus paid it all. And then he's gone to his father's house to prepare that place for us because it's a sorry man that ask a woman to marry him and he ain't got nowhere for them to stay. Do you hear me? And Jesus has gone away to prepare a place for his bride. I said we have a better covenant. But then there's one more reason why she represents the church. She couldn't heal him, but she connected him to the one who could. I want to tell you tonight, I don't know what your problem is, but I do know I can't do nothing about it. If you're sick, I cannot heal you. If you're broken, I cannot fix you. If you're busted and disgusted, I cannot build you back up. But I can connect you to the one who can heal you when you're sick. He can build you up where you've been torn down. That's what the church does. We're not the healer, but we represent him. You know what he told us? You go into all the world. You go teach all nations. You go disciple them. You know what he told us to do? He said, and Lord, I am with you always even to the end of the world and I don't know who you are tonight but if you're sick come to Jesus if you're down in sin come to Jesus if you're broke busted disgusted come to Jesus he's yeah, he can save you, he can heal you, he can mend your broken heart, he can fix whatever is wrong. I'm finished right there. Say yes. Is there anybody here who will testify? He's a savior. He's a healer. He's a heart fixer. He's a man regulator. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a little baby boomer preaching right there. Listen, you busters excuse me, and you millennials excuse me, but oh, when I think about uh, the goodness of Jesus uh, and all oh, that uh, he's done for me, my hands say yes, uh, my feet say yes, uh, my heart say yes, uh, my soul says yes. 
going to shake somebody's hand. Tell them, I recommend Jesus. Tell them, whatever's going on, I recommend Jesus. Oh, 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 Jesus. Whatever your problem. Whatever your pain.
This is the night that you ought to get acquainted with the Lord. The door is open. You move from yonder to here. Left your membership. Moved everything but that. You need to move that tonight. The door is open. Come while you can. Come while you have a chance. Tomorrow belong to God. Only now belong to us. This is your chance. Come on to the Lord. 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 God bless. God keep you. Say amen, everybody. My Lord, my Lord. After the funeral today, after having asked the blessing, I said to person on the dining committee, when you fix my plate, don't overload it. Uh, and yet they brought me a well-fixed plate. Sherman Young uh, piled a plate up. Amen. I was trying to take some notes but I didn't have enough plate. What a preacher. Amen. What a preacher. What a preacher. What a preacher. What a preacher. Thank you very kindly. Last night, successful but not happy. Tonight, the right connection. Thank God for the preacher. You know, folks ought not to have to beg us when we uh, get to the point where we really know who God is and who we are and that everything you have, God gave it to you. Uh, there are some folk you have to beg to serve. Some folk are gifted, beg them to preach. Some folks are gifted again. You have to beg them to sing. It ought not to be like that. You ought to be glad when somebody asks you. Amen. You ought to be glad. You ought not ever shake your head. You ought to come on anyhow. God has not blessed us for us to be shaking our head and saying no. God has blessed us in order that we ought to share. And he talked about the predicament that that little girl was in. She, 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 she could have said, let Mr. Naaman go to hell. 